Support for I Am Salt Lake comes from KRCL 90.9, amplifying community voices since 1979. This listener-supported music discovery station covers everything from reggae and punk rock to local grassroots activism. Listen today at 90.9 FM or online at krcl.org. This episode of the podcast is also brought to you by Mark Miller Subaru, Kennedy Botanicals, and Libsyn. We're going to be telling you more about them throughout this episode. And I want to personally thank you for joining us for episode 392 of I Am Salt Lake podcast. My name's Chris Hollifield. And my name's Chrissy Hollifield. How has your week been, Chrissy? Oh my gosh, so busy. Well, I know exactly. So great. You know how my week's been. I know exactly how your week's been because we got all moved in to uh-huh. our brand new house. Yes. We spent our first night there last night. Yes, which was interesting because as soon as we moved in, we realized the air conditioner didn't work. Oh man, that so, is a story for a whole that's other episode. a whole episode. other thing, but regardless, I am super stoked. It's a beautiful house. It's so gorgeous. And if this is your first time listening to this podcast, you might be wondering what it's all about. Well, this podcast is all about showcasing awesome people in Salt Lake City, Utah. We get to talk to musicians, authors, business owners, police officers, restaurant owners, breweries, distilleries, really anyone who might have a cool story to share. And we're recording today right in beautiful downtown Salt Lake City in our podcast studio that's located way in the back of Empire Merchandise. Empire Merchandise is located at 680 South State Street. Now, not only does Empire have an amazing selection of vape juice, vape accessories, they have lots of uh, you know other products here that you could check out, but they have I Am Salt Lake podcast t-shirts, short-sleeved I Am Salt Lake podcast t-shirts. So stop on in, check this place out, and pick up a t-shirt while you're here. Who's on the podcast today, Chrissy? Today on the podcast, we are joined by retired Salt Lake City police officer Isaac Atencio. Isaac shares stories from what it was like working on the police force, his thoughts on marijuana legalization, and even what we can do as parents if we suspect that our kids are involved in gang activity. We also had a guest co-host on this episode, Isaac's son, Isaac, who is Isaac the Barber from Salt Lake Barber Company. He got to join us and help guide this conversation. So we're going to get into that in just a few minutes. Hey, before we get into that conversation with Isaac, let's give love to one of our awesome sponsors, Kennedy Botanicals. Remember, when you support one of our sponsors, you are directly supporting this podcast. Did you know that CBD is now legal and can be used in all 50 states? KennedyBotanicals.com is your one-stop shop for all your CBD needs. They offer pure 100% organic CBD in capsules, tinctures, pain gel roller, and they even offer CBD treats for your furry friends. I personally use CBD for my anxiety. It's a great go-to. You put a couple drops under your tongue and you are good for the day. Also a couple drops before bed and you'll be sleeping like a baby. And some of the other benefits of CBD include depression treatment, anxiety treatment, epilepsy, muscle spasms, insomnia, chronic pain, Parkinson's disease, reduced inflammation, and it may even help acne. Kennedy Botanicals is a local Utah family-owned and operated business where they focus on educating you in the CBD world. They believe that educating yourself on CBD is only going to better arm you for what CBD is capable of doing. And Kennedy Botanicals provides quality CBD products at an affordable price. Go visit their website, kennedybotanicals.com, and learn more about their CBD products. Again, that website is kennedybotanicals.com. Show your support for the podcast and show your support for these guys. 
All right, here's that conversation with Isaac when he came over to our podcast studio to share his story on what life was like for him as a Salt Lake City police officer. Thank you so much for listening. Enjoy the conversation. I mean, you're both Isaac, I guess. Is there, I mean, how should we know, like in case... In case I'm talking to you or you, I, I guess just... We could just say Isaac the cop and Isaac the barber. There we go. <laughs> the Isaac. Did, was that tough growing up to have two Isaacs? I mean, in the same... Because same house well, and the whole nine yards, right? Well, there's actually three of us. So I'm the third. Uh, my dad's junior. And there was a couple weird instances of like... I, we had a couple times where the bank screwed a couple things up uh, between our bank accounts. Oh, I bet. <laughs> but other than that, not really. My It's funny because sometimes like my grandma will say Isaac, you know, and I know she's talking to him, but I'm used to replying, you know, she yeah. calls me something else, but. Well, and for me being junior, yeah, me and my dad used to work out at Hill Air Force Base. So we were out there and, and we both banked at, at America First. And uh, so on a Friday, we got paid and the old man came over and said, hey, I need you to call over to the bank and see if you got my paycheck. And I said, what are you talking about? And he said, well, my paycheck's not in the bank. So I called over to America first and yeah, you know, I had double paycheck. And I said, well, you know, there's, you. <laughs> there's, there's double the money in my account. And he said, well, I need my money. And I said, well, you got to prove to me it's yours. So they screwed up there and, and it was really funny because I teased him for a while and, but you know, they messed up like that. And then there was another time where I pulled a credit report and not only my stuff was on there, but my dad's and Isaac's was oh, wow. on there. So I had to call the, you know, credit bureau and straighten all yeah. that out. So that, there's been some times where it's been kind of crazy, you know, even though his is Isaac A, mine's Isaac Jr. And the old man's Isaac Sr., but they've messed up. Well, just for our listeners' sake, so we have Isaac, the former police officer. Right. And then his son, Isaac, the Salt Lake Barber Company. Barber. It's me. Which I think, what was it? What episode were you on? 317, I want to oh, say. Oh, I don't know the number. But yeah, it's... yeah, yeah. So so I just thought it would be fun for Isaac, the barber, to sit in with his dad being chatted with on the uh, on this episode. So you used to be a Salt Lake City police officer. For how long were you a Salt Lake City police officer So for? I was a Salt Lake City police officer for 27 years. I hired on 1989, and then I left Salt Lake City Police in 2016. Did you always want to be a cop growing up? Was that kind of your, your as, as a young kid? Actually, um, I was probably, if you had asked my folks if, if I was going to be a police officer, they'd have said no. And I was that little kid who, if there were fire trucks coming down the road, my mom would open the front door and I'd be running in with my hands over my ears because I was afraid of sirens. And uh, I, I never thought I'd be a, a police officer. Uh, when I graduated from high school, my goal was to work out, you know, at Hill Air Force Base where my dad did, get a job with the federal government, retire out there. Probably about two years into my career at Hill Air Force Base, the former school resource officer at West High called me up and said, hey, what do you think about, you know, coming and testing for the police department? And so I went and tested and the first test didn't go very well, but about, you know, they used to test every two years. Two years later, I went and tested, passed the test and the rest was history. What did your parents think? Um, or family members in general. I mean, because I couldn't imagine if I had a kid look, going in to be a police officer. I'd I be mean, worried. I'd be like, ah, you know, stay safe. Go live um, in a bubble. I think initially my folks were a little bit surprised that, that I was looking at that. And, you know, my mom 
she's she's really Catholic and you know she says hey I'm just gonna pray and you know hopefully things will go good for you um, I think they were nervous about it but you know I decided to go for it and I did it and it was a great career I mean I had a great time uh, there were some a, a lot of times that I didn't discuss a lot of things that happened at work because uh, sometimes things are just better left unsaid. Because uh, you kind of sent, oh, I mean, it's quite, quite the, uh, <laughs> the, the, bio. The, the bio that you sent over just because it was like, I wanted to make sure I, you know, knew, knew a little bit about you, what you were involved in. And gosh, I mean, you were everything from SWAT, narcotics, vice, really every aspect of the, uh, what's the word? The Not, spectrum. Yeah, yeah. 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 Is that normal for police officers to be involved with so much stuff like that? You know, a lot of cops go into policing and I know a ton of them that go in and the only thing they do for their career is patrol Yeah, because that's what they want to do. They become police officers. They put the uniform on, they go out there every day and that's what they become cops for is to be a patrol cop and, and. I've had friends that, you know, I'm, I've always tried to recruit them to, hey, come work in this job with me. And they just go, you know what? This is what I want to do. I don't want to go work those special assignments because, I mean, Isaac can tell you, they're long hours. I was pulled away from from home a lot and not just, you know, on weekends, but at night and overnight and, you know, 18, 20 hour days. So a lot of guys just want to do what you, you know, what you call eight and skate. They just want to go in, put their time in. They want to go home, forget about it. A lot of the assignments that I worked, I mean, I was tied to a pager or a cell phone from 1992 up until the time I retired in 2016. So there was either a pager going off or a cell phone going off, and I was always pulled away from family things. So it's it's a tough life when you choose to do that. But, you know, I did. I worked patrol for just a short amount of time. Then I went to vice, narcotics. I was in detectives. I did the gang unit for a majority of my career. I worked motors. I helped with other squads because I speak Spanish fluently. So that allowed me to help with robberies and homicide, domestic violence. Other agencies called for help all the time. So I got to go help with other agencies a lot. And so it was something, it was an individual choice that I made. So that, that was exciting for me. And I think I chose that. And, you know, there's, there's a lot of regret in that because it pulled me away from my family a lot. Was there something that you like enjoyed more than the other? I really, probably my passion, my two passions on the police department. One was SWAT because I think I sent it over in my bio. I was probably one of the only people that I can honestly say I'm aware of that kept my SWAT gear through every assignment that I ever had on the department. Now, what do you mean by and keep your SWAT gear? What? So a lot of times when, when you're in patrol, you can come on and you're what's called a collateral SWAT member. Full-time SWAT guys, there's only a handful, 10 or 12 guys that are full-time SWAT. That means that they're assigned to a sergeant within a bureau of the department and they do nothing but they're assigned to SWAT. And they might have a secondary assignment that might be uh, training other officers. It might be working with the gang unit. It might be working with robbery or, you know, tracking down fugitives. But a collateral SWAT member is usually somebody that works somewhere else within the police department. 
But there's some assignments where when you go work them, uh, motors, uh, robbery, homicide, you go work one of those assignments and they'll tell you, turn your SWAT gear in because you can't work both assignments. Mm. And for some reason, I was always able to talk whoever I was working for <laughs> into keeping my gear, you know? So it was, it was actually kind of cool to be able to talk them into that. And I don't know if it was just some, uh, an ability that I had to talk the supervisors into letting me keep my gear. But then when I started to get promoted throughout the department, I became a team leader and then I became the tactical commander. So I was able just to hang on to that gear for, it was, it was a solid 20 years of my career. You said between 1989, 2006, right? Is that what you said? 2016. Oh, 2016. Yeah. So, yeah. so actually just a couple of years ago back. Okay. So 1989, 1990, let's even go back. What, what kind of crimes were, what, I mean, I guess that's a big, I mean, probably same <laughs> crimes as there are today, but, but Utah, Salt Lake City's changed a lot. Salt Lake what, City's I mean, back, a lot. I mean, even, even from our, from liquor laws to the bars being private clubs back in the nineties and, and stuff. Did you see a change in crime in Utah or like, what was like the, increased? Decrease yeah. In what was the, areas? what was the main crime that was popular? I guess. Uh, How do you phrase it? I don't know. Do you you know what I'm trying to ask? Like, what were people doing more back in like 89, 90, 91, 92 versus 2016? You know, one of the things that changed a lot from like the early 1990s to now is that, you know, right out front here is, is State Street. Yeah. Back then, State Street was where everybody came to cruise up and down on a Friday and Saturday night. And it was probably the mid 1990s when they came out with the State Street cruising ordinance. And that was because, um, and I wish I could remember the year off the top of my head, but we were, you know, starting to see a lot of gang activity and there was a lot of uh, violent gang crime going on. So right over on 100 South and State Street, there was some some gang wars that were going on and it was uh, straight edge against one of the Mexican gangs down there. And so a carload of straight edge guys came around a corner. There was a group of, you know, Hispanic gang members that were there and they were sitting on the corner and there was a homicide that took place down there. Uh, One of the straight edge kids ended up killing a Hispanic kid down there. And about that time, the department was asking for, it was called problem oriented policing at the time. And so we've gone through some different phases of police work over the last, you know, 30 years. Started off, and and this isn't just related to Utah, but it's throughout the United States and there's, you know, throughout the world. But problem-oriented policing, community-oriented policing was another one. But during the phases of problem-oriented policing, they were asking for ideas from, from, you know, troops and from supervisors so one of the uh, ideas that came up was coming up with this, uh, well, not coming up with this one, but they came up with the State Street Cruising Ordinance. And that was if we came out and we were patrolling State Street and we were enforcing the ordinance and we saw you go up and down more than two times, we were going to stop you and cite you because you were cruising the signs are still out there. Exactly. Yeah. And I've always wondered why cruising was like banned. I always thought that was the weirdest law, but now it makes more Did sense. You, I mean, were you really pulling cars over and stuff? Absolutely. Really? Yeah. Wow. And you would probably find a bunch of other things that they were doing illegally and busting them on that, I guess. Oh, yeah. 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 Weapons. I heard, and- I heard that the ordinance was just lifted just recently. 
Oh, yeah, see, I, I told you. Now I can, I can go four times now. <laughs> <laughs> I have some car club people that come into our shop and they, they say that they can go cruise now, like that it was potentially lifted. I'm not sure hundred percent, but that's what I heard. I, I haven't heard that, but the whole thing with the, with the cruising at the time, I mean, not only were we, you know, we were taking guns off the street. We were stopping fights. We were taking liquor out of cars, you know, juveniles, you know, in possession of alcohol. So there was a lot that, that we were doing out here that was really curbing the problems that were happening out here. In fact, it was, you know, the guy who's the chief of police uh, right now, Mike Brown, I think that came up with the cruising ordinance. And uh, so we started working that. And I'll tell you, we would put it, we would set up on, on different corners all the time. So it wasn't all, you know, in the same spot. So every, people didn't know time. where to look. Right. Like, yeah. You know, so it's like kind of a DUI roadblock thing. So we would set up and then, you know, so we were pulling cars over for loud exhaust. We were pulling people over for seatbelt violations. If we were, if we were in a cop car next to them and, you know, we would hear loud music coming out of the car, you know, the loud mufflers back then the low riders with hydraulics, you know, you can't be moving at the time you're working your hydraulics. And that was really popular back then. But we were taking, like I said, a lot of weapons off the streets. Um, also, back during that time, it was like 1996, we were having a big gang problem. So not only was I, you know, working that part of it, but in 1996, I was in gang suppression, and that's uniform gang enforcement. And we were at 923 South State down here, and we had just stood up a group of guys um, standing up. Basically, we had stopped to talk to a group of guys that were involved in a fight. And we're at, uh, like I said, 923 South State. We had probably about 10, 11 guys uh, up on the east side of the street there. And probably about three or four of them had walked away from us, and they went up to Belmont. They crossed the street, and they walked down right where the Honda dealership is there. And they sat down at a bus stop. Well, there was a, a truck that was coming uh, east on 900 South and made a right-hand turn. They didn't see the cops. They didn't see us sitting there. I mean, we had our red and blues on. We were parked on the side of the road. We had a few motor officers there with us. And so they turned and started to go southbound. And one of the guys that was in the truck, there were three guys, two in the front and one that was in the back of the bed of the truck, he took a kneeling stance as he drove by the bus bench and he just started firing on the, there were three guys sitting at the bus bench. Wow. And so we're just, we're right across the street and it was loud. And you're watching this. We're watching it. Wow. Yeah. So, you know, you want to see about 10 or 12 cops lose it, you know, yeah. we're jumping up on top of our cars, drawing our weapons, you know, trying to get a, a good sight picture on this truck Again, we're still dealing with the cruising that's happening on State Street. Cars in our way, we can't get a clear shot. So, wow. I mean, everything was like slow motion at that point, you know, because we're hearing boom, 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 boom. And, you know, we're watching the guys sitting on the bus bench. And, I mean, we're, we're watching these bodies. They're dropping. And so me and my partner, we jump into my car and I'm driving. And so it like went from slow motion to back to real time. And we get in my car and I pull a U-turn. And just as we're pulling the U-turn to go south on State Street, we're watching this kid that was sitting on the bus bench. He stands up clear as day. And I can still see it today. I see this bullet hole in his forehead. 
and he's just like standing up in slow motion. We're watching, 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 and his his body hits the ground, and then all of a sudden we're back in real time, mm. and we're off to the races with this truck. And you know, so this chase takes place, and it goes clear out to Midvale. No kidding. Before we catch the guy, and there were multiple agencies involved. I mean, it was a crazy night, but. Those are the kind of things that we were dealing with with the State Street Enforcement um, Project. And that went on for quite some time until cruising actually stopped. Because you felt the cruising caused the crime. It did. I mean, there was there was a lot of crime. But, you know, I remember being a, a young kid when my sister was in high school back in 73. She graduated in 73. But I remember getting put in the back seat of her car and covered up with a blanket so her and, and her friends could come up and cruise State Street when she was watching me. And uh, so, so cruising was a, you know, something that took place here in Salt Lake for, you know, 20 years prior to that. But it became such a problem when we started to see gangs and and motorcycle gangs and street gangs that something had to be done. Like it, but it became a way to enable them to... It, it, it enabled know. crime. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Well, but, I, but the ordinance worked. When I was 16, I remember, you know, got a, Get a little sorry. There, I was 16. I, I uh, got a driver's license and, and a bunch of my buddies, man, they wanted to go cruise State Street. And th- their M.O. was to go and pick fights in cars next to them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> go and, cruise State Street and then go to Crossroads Mall. Yeah, right. right? <laughs> go, yeah, like Sears parking lot, like stuff like that. And just drive up and down and pick fights. You know, that wasn't really like what I wanted to be doing. But like, that's what my friends were wanting to do. So I was going with them. Huh. And, yeah. you know, it never really came to like blows, but. It wasn't all just uh, just for the, the ride, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Mark Miller Subaru. And before we get into all this awesome information about Mark Miller Subaru, might I mention, go back and listen to last week's episode with Jeff Miller. He's the general manager over there. Really great conversation about all the history, everything you want to know about Mark Miller Subaru. Like, did you know that the Love Promise program is what makes Subaru And Mark Miller Subaru, so special? The love promise means being more than a car company. It's Mark Miller Subaru's vision to show love and respect to all people at every interaction with Subaru. Mark Miller Subaru is dedicated to making the world a better place. Subaru of America actually selected Mark Miller Subaru as the country's 2018 Love Promise Retailer of the Year. This is the most distinguished award Subaru of America awards each year, and it's only given to one Subaru retailer throughout the entire country. Mark Miller Subaru was selected for this award because of Mark Miller Subaru's unique and strategic approach to supporting charitable causes right here in Utah. While Mark Miller Subaru has donated a sizable amount of money over the years, that's not all they do. Mark Miller Subaru develops deep and meaningful partnerships with charities to make real change right here in our community. So whether you're buying a car at Mark Miller Subaru or just simply getting some service done, you're helping Mark Miller Subaru leave a mark on the lives of others in our local community. Mark Miller Subaru has two convenient locations. I'm going to tell you about them. They have the Midtown one. This is the one located 3535 South State Street. Right in Salt Lake City, this is the one I use for all my Subaru needs. You know, you need an oil change, you just need a tune-up, head on into uh, the Midtown location. But they have a Southtown location. That's at uh, 10920 State Street in Sandy. Go test drive a Subaru today. I think you're going to like it. I really do. Again, go visit them at their Midtown or Southtown locations. And many thanks to Mark Miller Subaru for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. 
So like I said, there's a bunch of questions here. We probably won't get to all of it, but there's a few few major ones. And again, I mean, if you don't want, we can edit anything out that we don't want to, you don't want to. This is a big question, uh, even on myself. Okay. Uh, for my, from Brittany Hemingway, she brought up a lot of drug related questions. Okay. Which is very, very popular, uh, subject these days. And, uh, say what you want, say what you don't want. Uh, and I don't want to put you on the spot with anything, but how do you feel about marijuana? Like, honestly, like, and I know that's a big question. Like, how do you feel about it? But so let me, let me, how, how she worded it here. How do you feel about marijuana? Does he feel it was valuable for him to enforce the anti-marijuana laws? That's, that's a really good question because, you know, for, for the entirety of my career, I mean, I did. That's what I did. Well, of course I, it was your job. It, it was your my, job. Yeah. But nowadays, and it's not just after I retired, but even before I retired, those questions were coming up. But even since retirement, I've watched a lot of TV. I've watched a lot of specials on Netflix about medical marijuana. Yeah. And I think that, that it's, it, it's got its purpose and it's got its place. And it speaks volumes when you got a person like before John Huntsman died, uh-huh. he, he started to come around to the idea and he wasn't, I think he was going to be an advocate for, for medical marijuana. And, um, there are other people here in the state. You've got people that are moving out of state that are of the uh, faith, the you know, the majority faith here in yeah. the state of Utah that are moving out of state to get help for their children. And so I'm not saying that I agree with the, with the fact that you've got people uh, that are walking around and, and dealing pot, you know, on the streets and that are using it or that there's still an illegal market for it. But I do think that there's a place for it within the medical community. Do you think it's, it's silly to throw people in jail and prison for, I mean, there's, there's people serving longer times in prison for, for marijuana. I mean, when you arrested people, were you like, this is, I mean, this guy's just chilling out at home watching TV and eating potato chips. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, like, did you feel like a little, like, this is weird? Like, why are we or doing Or like there's this? other people that would be more important yeah, to man. go after. Like, why is, why is drugs such a big deal in the, in the law enforcement? It seems well, like it's the dealing, really, yeah, man, that's like, the big deal, right? Like, you see, you see other people only serving five years for child stuff and, yeah. and all this stuff, and you're like, And I think what? where you're going with it is uh, there's, there's a certain line. You know, when you start to get people who are endangering um, kids' lives, when they have it in their house and and there's traces of it, you know, on their kitchen counters, on their tables, um, you start to to bring firearms into it, the dealing aspect of it where there's dangerous people coming around and there's, again, firearms that are brought into that – those are the things that I saw, that you, yeah. you know, as a cop, you see that you see people that are bringing that criminal aspect to the dealing. And that's, that's where I didn't have a problem arresting those yeah. people because when a little kid is in the house and, you know, the dad or the uncle or the brother or the mom's boyfriend is dealing. And when people are coming in, he's got a gun in the waistband and the intelligence that we have is, oh, yeah, that guy's a dealer. 
and he's always got a gun in his waistband. And, you know, we've had people that become informants that say, hey, man, I went over there just to buy a quarter and this dude pulled a gun and put it to my head and said, you know what, bitch, you better not be a snitch or, or you know, because they start to get paranoid. Maybe mm-hmm. they're using something more than weed. Yeah. That's when it becomes a problem. Yeah. And it becomes a problem in your community when they start confronting neighbors and, you know, putting other kids that live next door to them in, in danger. So there's certain reasons that it becomes criminal in nature. It's not the guy who's trying to help his kid with seizures. Mm-hmm. It's not the guy with Parkinson's who um, is trying to better himself, you know. So so for that, you know, yeah. does it have a place? And would you feel stupid, you know, arresting, you know, some 50-year-old guy with Parkinson's that, that explains it to you and says, hey, man, I got Parkinson's. I'm trying to use it to, you know, look look at how I am. Look, here's here's my seizure. But when I smoke this, it makes me better. Did and, you and, have people like that when you were out uh, in patrol and stuff? No. Really? It, that, that wasn't, you know, because there weren't studies for that yeah, at that point Yeah, it didn't seem time. like it was a discussion until just the last right. five years, yeah, I mean, five became, I know years. it became medical in California in the mid-90s, I think. Oh. And then, so, I mean, if you if you served till 2016, I mean, you, you had a big chunk because, I mean, it became, because it became legal recreationally in Colorado in 2014, I think it was. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's interesting. It's interesting to me because it makes you wonder. It's like, well, is this a bad thing? Is it a good thing? You well, know? That's the thing. And so, so like, that's what's what so you said hard. makes a lot of sense. Like it in and of itself isn't necessarily a bad thing, but it's the yeah. people that are it's the people that running in the black bad. market that yeah. are right, right. That bring other things to the table and it gets blended with violence and criminal activity. Yeah, and, and it's, and that's when it becomes a bad thing. That's when you go out and arrest them. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, there's, so, you know, cops always have discretionary measures that they can take. Did I ever pull somebody over that had an ounce on them? They didn't go to jail that I wrote the report founder sees narcotics. Yeah, absolutely. And you, you just, you write it up and a person walks. I mean, it happens, but you write a report, you document it. Mm-hmm. There was never anything I didn't document in my career, but you know, it's that criminal element that's brought into it. When you start, like I said, you've got a house in your neighborhood and they start to endanger people that are coming to their home. That's bad. You know, that's when, when neighbors are worried because uh, of who's coming into their neighborhood and what it makes them feel like. And, And that's the key element there. What do they feel like? Or do they feel threatened? Because that's what happens. So with that being said, and it like kind of <laughs> turning like more recreational nationwide, and it's ultimately, you know, kind of gaining strong force behind a essentially at some time a nationwide like end of the prohibition on it. Like, what are your thoughts on like mandatory minimums for small possession charges and, and like moving forward? What, what's your kind of thoughts on that now? I still find it uncomfortable. I mean, I was in Las Vegas, what was it, two months ago? <laughs> what did you think of all the pot shops down there, man? I, dude, I was walking, I mean, I walked into a store and I looked in the display case and I was like, wow. You know, I, I had never seen this before. That was... What was uh, it? What, like, like a little bit of weed or something? Oh, like yeah. I mean, there were like buds of weed being sold and, yeah. you know, they had 
like big blunts that they were selling. And I, so I, I called the girlfriend over and said, Hey, check this out. And she goes, get away from there. <laughs> and I was like, no, come here and look at this. This is crazy. You know? So what'd you but, buy? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's legal there. So I mean, hell no. Um, but seriously, you know, I, it's still, it's still uncomfortable for him because you walk down the street and you smell it. Mm-hmm. And, and I told her, I said, you smell that. And she's like, what are you talking about? Said, it's weed triggers you and it's like a pavlovian it, thing where when you smell it you immediately think oh bad you yeah. know because you've been trained that way for so long and and everywhere we walk down she goes i i just i i must be oblivious to this i don't smell i says it it's weed these guys are smoking weed and so i found myself like looking in the crowd to see who who is it you know and she's like well you know what you can't do nothing so just blow it off i mean don't don't worry about it but still, I guess that instinct in me is to see who who's smoking it. Could you usually um, find the person pretty well? Are you? Oh I mean, yeah. Do you, do you have and a really they're, good, good they're eye so, for that? But they're so open down there is that yeah. you just look over in the crowd and somebody's just like smoking and passing it, you know. But uh, you know, my feelings on it, Isaac, are that really right now you're gonna you're gonna see that stuff go away because even the Utah laws changed to where uh, I mean they can't really charge until you have ninety above ninety nine pounds of weed. Right. Um, so I mean, wait. What's gonna, this? What's this now? You can't charge in Utah if you have a but unless you have ninety nine pounds. Yeah, of and and the the thing that differentiates it is if you, I mean, hey, you get pulled over, you got up ninety nine pounds. I mean, can they take it from you? Yeah, but can they charge you with it? You know, the charging is the difference there. But the difference is, do I have a bunch of plastic baggies on me, and do I have a scale, and do I have O sheets? Yeah. You know, Does it look in, like a resale? In, yes. Thing. Do I have the intent? to sell it, then there's the difference. So, you know, am I showing that my intent is to distribute this 99 pounds? Yeah. And now with the legalization and the the medical use of it, I think the way the laws are written are going to be what is the big difference maker here. And, and I think that's, what's got everybody, the politicians and, and everybody that's involved in that. I think that's what has everybody nervous and, and whatnot. But I think that it's going to, it's going to be, the big difference maker. It's going to be interesting to see the way it goes. And we don't need to, I mean, I don't want to make this whole episode about drug legalization, (laughs) but it's, it's, it's an interesting thing. I mean, cause we all wonder, I mean, I even wonder myself, I'm like, would it, take away crime would it make it worse because we've never lived in a world of of legal drugs legal weed Mm -hmm. right you know but we have these ideas in our head that like well if they just legalized all drugs then people can get the help they need to get the criminal element would definitely drastically be reduced it seems i would think i don't know but then there's places like california where the black market's still thriving because of tax tax reasons yeah Yeah. uh, this episode of the podcast is brought to you by libsyn are you thinking of starting a podcast do you have a buddy or even a coworker that maybe is interested in starting a podcast? Hey, if you or someone you know, if you're in the process of starting a podcast and you are looking for the best podcast audio host out there, go check out Libsyn.com. We've been using Libsyn to host I Am Salt Lake podcast for the past seven years, and I know that I truly could not be happier with them. They make it super easy to set up and they make it super easy to get your podcast routed to all the podcast players out there like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, all of them. I am Salt Lake Podcast listeners. Listen up though right now. If you use the promo code Salt Lake, all one word, Salt Lake, you will get the rest of this month and all of next month free hosting at Libsyn.com. Again, that promo code is Salt Lake. You'll be supporting this podcast directly and you'll be getting yourself some free podcast audio hosting at the same time. Win-win. 
Go check it out. Go support the podcast. And many thanks to Libsyn for your support of this podcast. Let's get to a couple of these other questions before, because there's a few gang-related questions that I think could help uh, listeners with their own kids even maybe, right? Um, Aliquity. So so out of, we have an email list. I threw it out on our email list. I said, hey, do you have any questions? Uh, a friend of the show, Aliquity, she does a cool podcast called the Travel Gluten-Free Podcast. She, she actually lives here locally. And she asks a question, what are common signs of gang involvement which teachers should look for in the classroom? Well, you know, one of the things that I, that we used to go out and we used to teach in schools all the time. Yeah. And um, Isaac's mom's a teacher. My daughter's, uh, you know, she's a teacher's aide. And so, and the funny thing is that uh, one of my daughters is actually the director over a program here called Choose Gang Free. And so they actually are are, uh, youth gang advocates here. And we have these conversations all the time. And one of the things for teachers is that I always tried to, to instill in them is try to teach from beyond the podium, you know, because that's one thing that I think anymore, and hopefully I don't offend any teachers that listen to your program, but, you know, a lot of teachers anymore with the way that kids are, kids are, are pretty aggressive in schools anymore. I mean, they they don't think that the teachers have any right to tell them anything. Mm -hmm. So they're pretty aggressive towards teachers and administrators and teachers are a little bit afraid to get involved. And I'm not saying all teachers, but some. So I would like to say, you know, teach from beyond the podium, walk in your classrooms, see what the kids are doing, because, you know, one of the the biggest things, and you don't see it anymore because a lot of schools have uh, uniform codes that they have to, you know, wear tan pants and certain color shirts or the school shirts. But if not, you know, look for the clothing because, you know, uh, if you just Google it on the internet, um, you can see what teams are affiliated with what gangs. A lot of schools don't allow kids to wear hats anymore, but when they did, you know, Chicago Bulls was one. And, and, and again, I'm not naming any teams here because I, I don't want to bring a bad stigma to certain teams, but, gangs. you know, yeah, to gangs. What about Utah well, Jazz? You know, re- 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 <laughs> I don't, don't want to relate the team to the gang, but, it, right, but yeah. it's true. You know, the Raiders, the, oh, sure, sure, you know, yeah. uh, L.A., you know, all of that. It's just that. I yeah. couldn't wear like a Dodger hat because I grew up in Southern California because right. Right? L.A., you know, it was, it was, it was a, you know, the blue hat, got the Crips, you know. Exactly. And but, you know, you watch that. You watch for, you know, the blue bandana, the red bandana, the green bandana, purple bandana, uh, those kind of things. Kids will fold those up. They'll put them in their pocket. Sometimes they're hanging out. The belts, shoelaces, you know, they they wear those color of shoelaces. That's still a thing. Uh, you're starting to see it creep up. Because I was going to say, I remember that back when I was a teenager. Well, they're oh, probably, yeah. I mean, especially with like the... Schools cutting down and restricting what kids can wear more and more because mm-hmm. of that, the kids are going to find ways to sneak it back in, you know? And it's, it's, I mean, I notice from kind of an outside perspective is that like, you know, everything is cyclical uh, style in particular. So now like you're starting to see the nineties, like style kind of come back into fashion and, yeah. and, it's you know, weird. a part of that is kind of the like cholo look, you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's looking Kind of a little bit more in that in that realm too. So it's weird though how gang fashion became 
a fashion thing. Like, I mean, it's, it's kind of sad. If you ask my honest opinion, maybe that's a bad thing to say. Don't beat me up. If, <laughs> well, <laughs> no, I'll you know, tell you. Like, what what's, glorifies what's cool the, the lifestyle, you know, right? What, what's yeah. cool about that? There's nothing cool. Well, and, you know, for a long time it went away. We got to a certain point where, I mean, not only here in Utah, but across the United States, it was so easy to spot kids that were in gangs because of their clothing that they actually got away from wearing particular clothing here in Salt Lake, but it, it wasn't just here. I mean, you can still go into certain cities and states where the kids have never given up on wearing uh, what they want to wear that, that relates them to a gang, you know, Dickies and certain style of shirts and shoes, you know, you know, Converse All-Stars, man. I love Converse All-Stars, but you know, that was, that was a big one for, for gang members. But, you know, here in Utah, a lot of the kids got away from that and they started wearing just normal clothes where you couldn't get a kid that was, you know, somebody that should be wearing blue. They wouldn't ever wear red, but they started actually wearing different, you know, red and blue color combinations because they didn't want to be found out by the cops. But, you know, the other one for teachers, you know, for educators is get out into the classroom and walk throughout your classroom and look at these kids notebooks, because the one place that you'll always find is in their notebooks what they're drawing, what they're writing, you know. And, I mean, we went into a house after a homicide one time, and there was this uh, these kids that had, um, it was 2008, they had just uh, accidentally murdered a seven-year-old girl. Oh uh, the guy that shot her took this rifle over to this kid's house, and they hid it in this girl's bedroom. The brother of this girl hid it in her bedroom between the mattresses. So when we went over there that night and we got into the house and got a search warrant and we went in and found this gun, we get into the daughter's bedroom. And, you know, these parents that for, for this house, they were these uh, folks that they were working two and three jobs. And little did they know that their daughter, who was, I think, 12 at the time, we started to point out, do you know your daughter's gang involved? And they said, no, 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 not our daughter. We says, well, yeah, your daughter is. You know, she's supporting these guys that just shot this girl. And, you know, little did they know that in her closet, everything she had was blue. And all the things that she was writing in her school notebook, you know, the drawings, you know, three dots on, on some girls' faces. And she had the book that was, you know, there was a movie that was out a long time ago, probably in the 70s or 80s, Mi Vida Loca, yeah. My Crazy <laughs> Life, you know. Three dots. <laughs> she had a book about that, you know, and she had a lot in her room that was related to that. And these people had no idea. Because they were so busy working. They were the parents. And they were the parents. And they were just trying to make an honest life for those kids that they had no idea about all these subtle hints that were in this girl's room. Same thing happens in the classrooms. Mm -hmm. A lot of these teachers don't recognize those things. So I would say a good way for them to reach out is to contact your local police department. I know Salt Lake City Police has a gang unit and they'll come out and they'll teach at the school unified has one west valley has one they have choose gang free they'll come out and they'll teach the educators and they have powerpoints that they can tell you 
this is what you look for in a classroom. This is what you look for in the kids, you know, how they act, how they dress, how they talk, who they're hanging out with. They'll even come out to a community and they'll talk to the parents and let them know, look, this is what you want to look for in your child. How can we as parents educate ourselves? I, I They probably wouldn't come to just my house, right? You know, explain it <laughs> uh, to me. But like, because all the signs that you explained about that girl, I would never have picked up on that, you know, because well, it's not a, a world that I ever lived in. And, you know, the, the, the craziest thing is that parents never think to... Uh, you know, back in the 1990s, one of the things that uh, throughout my career that I never wanted to go work this assignment, it was called community action teams. And before it was community action teams, it was called the community support division. And I got assigned to go work there. And I was like, nah, I don't want to go work there. And there was this one captain that called me in and he says, look, it's time for you to start, stop thinking of fun and just go get some great experience. And I went there. And I walked away from there with just this cool toolbox of things for my career. And we used to have meetings. It was so basically that's when community oriented policing started. And so there was neighborhood watch and mobile neighborhood watch. And then they had uh, the community action teams. So, you know, in your neighborhood, go out and knock on doors, talk to parents or at the school Get a group of parents together and then contact the, one of these police agencies or choose gang free and set up a meeting at one of the local churches or even at the school after hours and tell them we want to know what's going on with gangs in our community. And they'll they'll put on a training for you. That's a good idea. I, That's I a really did this stuff when my kids were I, growing up. You I, know? I'm going to interrupt real quick. And I just want to say back up a little bit. He, my dad mentioned that. Uh, one of his first passion was SWAT. But mm-hmm. one thing that I really respect and admire my, about my dad is his probably biggest passion in police enforcement was gangs and mm-hmm. community action. And it's carried on, you know, outside of his retirement even. But uh, I just wanted to mention that because I think you were getting there, but never yeah. said it. So he has a lot to offer for, for gangs. Yeah. Interesting. That, that yeah. was my second biggest passion is gangs, I think, because even even now in retirement, I I'm president of the Utah Gang. I, I was just gonna I was just gonna say, well, what? Yeah. So what do you do with that? What what does that job really ent- entail? So after I retired, um, I think I was I don't know if I told you my son in law is a, a police officer. Oh, I, I and, don't think you mentioned uh, that. No. So he's part of the Metro Gang Unit, and so Salt Lake Area Gang Project and Metro Gang Unit um, still have a lot of friends there. They called me up because I'm retired and have a lot of gang experience. And they said, hey, come to a meeting with us. And there was a conference that was happening in uh, late 2016, and they wanted me to come and help them plan it. So I went to a meeting, helped them plan it. And then in early 2017, same group of guys, we started to plan uh, a spring conference. And they were handed off uh, this association. So the Utah Gang Investigators Association was formed. I was in the first one back in the mid-1990s, and it got started up and and kind of dissolved two different times. I was the co-chair for the first one in the mid-1990s, and then I was again involved in it in the 2000s. And so that started up again. Now we started it in 2017, and these guys said, hey, you're retired What's your calendar look like? And I lifted up my hand because that's my calendar. (laughs) Um, 
And I said, I'm pretty open. And so they, they asked if I'd consider being the president of this association. So I've done that for probably the last couple of years. And so we put conferences on. And basically, our, our mission is to continue educating police officers as it pertains to, you know, gang crime. And so we bring speakers in from different parts of the United States and also local speakers and current gang trends here just so that we can, you know, keep the cops current on what's happening here locally and also what's trending and what's going to come here. We also, you know, again, support uh, Choose Gang Free or we'll support other gang advocacy programs if they get started up here and um, also Utah Law Enforcement Memorial. Another question I want to ask on that same note about gangs, a listener, Christopher, same name as me. (laughs) Do you think gangs are increasing or decreasing here in Salt Lake City? Or is that a hard question? You know, I think that they're probably staying about the same. About the same. Um, Back in the, uh, like I said, gangs really started here. A lot of people don't realize um, that they started here probably back in the late 70s, um, early 80s. And they've continued to be here. Right now, at any given time, and I know this is a really loose number, you have, you know, between 30 to 40 gangs that are documented here with anywhere between 3,500 to 5,000 members. Each? And, or all together? N- no, all together. Oh, that's good. Yeah. 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 <laughs> you know, which, I mean, statistically, from what we have in the United States, that's not mm-hmm. like, you know, looking in California or Texas or Arizona, those numbers are really high. Mm-hmm. But, you know, nevertheless, nobody would ever think that we that we have that here, but we do. Salt Lake City was featured on Gangland, and I don't think that anybody would have ever thought in a million years that Salt Lake City would be featured on something like that, you know, but we mm-hmm. were. We were featured on that because we do have a serious gang problem. For years and years, I had the, the guy that recruited me, the Salt Lake uh, or the school resource officer, that guy used to try and bring attention to the gang problem that we had here, and and he was shut down as as you know well as other cops that were working at that time, and they just shut him down and kept telling him, you know what, don't worry about it. We don't have problem. We don't mm-hmm. have problem. When they had the first gang involved homicide, I think that was 1978. They basically wouldn't dare use the word gang. Because they didn't want to scare people or bring attention to it? I I think that it was just the the stigma that it would bring to Salt Lake City. Mm -hmm. They didn't want to use the word gang, or it might have been 1987, excuse me. They didn't want to use the the word gang in the reports, so they said disgruntled youth in these police reports. And it wasn't until 2009 when they had a shooting in Curran's that then Sheriff Jim Winder came on the news and he said, listen, folks, we have a serious problem. You know, we need to pull our head out of the sand. We have a gang problem. And that was the first time that I could remember anybody really standing up and saying, hey, you know what? Let's pay attention to this. We have a gang problem. And the gang unit had already been formed it was uh, you had a salt lake city police gang unit you had the metro gang unit you know since 1990 you know so that that's a long time yeah mm-hmm. but it was kind of hush hush it, it was hush hush. nobody wanted to admit it yeah that's sad i gotta hear this story 
on when you arrested <laughs> arrested your son. I mean, I got it before we run out of time. What I mean, what's the story there? What you, like legitimately arrested? You were were you on duty? Well, I I guess I can tell start them what it your out bad habit was. What well, was your bad habit, Isaac? I mean, I my dad. I'll say this about growing up in law enforcement family stuff like that. I you know everyone thinks there's a the stigma of it being real strict and probably not uh, the ideal situation. Uh, I'll tell you that my dad to me first off is is you know my hero. He's the guy yeah. I look up to. And not only that, like he was very lenient with me growing up. You know, I will say that he taught me everything from, you know, respecting others, uh, you know, just how to be a good person, I guess. But, you know, that being said, he was also lenient enough to the fact where, you know, it was like, hey, if you want to slough school and maybe this would get him in trouble, like not being, you know, I don't know. But like, yeah, exactly. He's, he's, you know, if you want to slough school, you know. If you can afford it, I'll write you a note. If you want to try alcohol, let me know and I'll buy it for you. And that might be a, a no-no for, for a cop, you know. <laughs> but but, but he, he was you know, but a it, safe environment right, it was, for you. Right, it, it was safe. It was, right. it, it was your you dad, know, it was, it was your dad. If, you're, your dad. if you have questions about sex or you're thinking about stuff like that, I'll buy you condoms. Like, to me, like, that, that's huge, you know. And sure. that's, that's mm-hmm. I think, how... People should be open and honest with kids. Anyhow, back. Uh, <laughs> that's just kind of giving a little. Um, back he didn't story. steal a car. I didn't. <laughs> and it, I mean, ultimately, wasn't the biggest offense. I think more so that I just wasn't honest. as honest as I should have been with my dad. But basically, I kind of fell into a habit of of sloughing school. Being, Wait, being that's a little, why he arrested being, you? Yeah, person. being a little true. <laughs> but the thing was, is at that time, I, you know, I, I allowed my grades to suffer, you know, <laughs> and I started, uh, instead of asking permission, you know, I started just falling in the habit of leaving school, not going to class, letting my grades slip. Um, and parents are on the hook for that, man. Yeah. And, and you can arrest kids for that, for not, I guess, I yeah, guess there, truancy. Yeah, tru- yeah truancy, truancy officer, you know, there's actual truancy officers yeah. in a truancy center and all that stuff. And so... You know, that that's a little backstory to how it happened, but that that's mainly what, what transpired. I I was not doing very well in school and, and uh my dad was getting a little upset with me and I started walking one day. I was walking downtown right through the Mormon Temple, uh right there on Main Street. No, it was I guess West, it was West, West Temple. Temple. Yeah, and I was headed to uh then Crossroads Mall and ZCMI yeah. Center Mall. That's where I used to go slough and <laughs> Get some food, a Cinnabon and some chowder, something like that, you know? Dude, that was the best food court. It was. Man. It was. the uh, And so we, me and a couple friends were walking and uh, of course I'm, I'm just walking. I look across the street and I see a cop car and, you know, your gut sinks. And I then realized that not only was it a cop car. <laughs> it, wasn't, I, it wasn't a cop car. I was on motors at the time. Oh, uh, you. Oh, I was on my motor. No, you had a car. No, because I couldn't transport you guys. I called the school cop. Yeah. Anyway, anyhow, I, I guess I missed that detail. But yeah, I, I just see my dad's face. And of course, you know, I just. Did you know? Did you know oh, he was going to arrest yeah, you? Yeah. I mean, I knew something was going to yeah. happen. I, he was he was already upset with me. This is, you know, we'd had multiple conversations. Mm-hmm. I, it was, it was a, you know, an in the moment reaction. I just ran. I just took off as far as I could, <laughs> you were right as fast as I could, but 
but you know, my, and my friends are back, you know, standing back and they just stop and I'm running. And then I realized, what am I running for? So I stop and turn back and just, you know, hung my, <laughs> it's not hung like my he head doesn't down. know where you live, right? Exactly. <laughs> hung my head down and went back and faced the music and he, he was pissed. How yeah. old were you? So I, I couldn't drive at the time. So 15. 15. Yeah. Was it, it was more of a lesson. Was it more of a lesson or did <laughs> it, you, no. was it, was it like, you're like, it was, it was a lesson to see if he learned a lesson because like I, like he said, I grew up the same way. My mom always said, Hey, don't slough. If you want to miss school, tell me I'll write a note. So I was called and said, Hey, my friends are going to slough. They're going to go. I want to go. And she'd go, Okay. So she'd call the school and get me excused. My friends never knew that. Yeah. But they'd leave. I'd leave. So I wanted to raise my kids the same way. So I was told him, Hey, you want to leave school? Just let me know. So I know where you're at. Isn't that, you know, that's, mm-hmm. it's kind of the safer way instead of getting a phone call saying, Hey, your kid was in a crash or got hit by a car. And I go, no, my kid's in school. Mm-hmm. So he just got in this habit of, well, he's let me in the past. So I'm just going to leave. It's cool. And they had this thing that they thought they were pretty badass to go up to the mall and sit down and have, you know, have <laughs> food and, and sitting bullshit, they thought they were like businessmen, I guess, you know? And so (laughs) I was, I was on motors at the time. I remember clearly I'm coming down West Temple. I look over and I'm like, you know, here's my honest thing. I'm like, motherfucker. (laughs) And so I pulled this U-turn and I went, Hey, and he, he like takes off running. And I'm like, I said, get your ass back here. And he's like on this dead run, right? And his friends have these big smiles on their faces. Well, I'll tell you what, if my head could have exploded out of my helmet and I just, I pull my helmet off and I go walking over there. I said, where the hell do you guys think you're going? Well, they think that I'm going to be cool, you know, at this point, because I was always (laughs) cool with them. And I, they're just like, Oh, we're just going over to the mall. And I said, you know what? This bullshit. I said, where does he think he's going? (laughs) I don't know. And they're laughing. And I said, this is the last time you guys are doing this shit. I said, so I'm, I'm swearing at him, you know, I'm pissed. And here, here comes this poor little old LDS guy that's going over to the family library. And he goes, you can't talk to them like that. And I said, get out of here. <laughs> and he looks at me and I said, get. And I just pointed my finger and this poor little old guy, he just, he looks at me like, oh shit. And he, he walks <laughs> off. And I thought, oh, I'm going to get in trouble for that one. So a couple of minutes later, here comes Isaac walking back with his head down. And they're all, they all got these smirks on their face, like, no big deal. Mm-hmm. Oh, because you, you're going to protect them. Yeah, like, I'm, I'm just going to, you know, yeah. tell them go back to school. And I was so mad. I was so enraged at this point. I don't know if I was having a bad day. <laughs> I couldn't tell you right now, but I was so pissed especially at him for running <laughs> and just, it was like, he was mocking me because there's, there's, there's no shit. Just slightly before that I was driving down third West and he did it again. And he's like standing behind this tree and I'm like, you know, so picture, you know, standing behind a tree with your arms out, trying to blend in with the tree. And I stop and I catch him that day. And then now he's doing it this day. And I thought, no, this, no, we're not, we're not doing this. So I told him, I said, you guys, I need you guys to write down your names, your birth dates, your parents' names. And I look at him and he's like, oh shit. And I said, you guys are under arrest. And he's like, come on, dad. And I said, no, I said, this ain't going to happen anymore. So you guys aren't taking advantage of me. 
I said, this shit. And then he's like, dad. And I said, no. And I so I stepped away and I called the school cop and I said, you need to come pick these guys up. Ah, oh, just take them over to the detention facility, which was the Horizonte school. I said, I can't, I'm on a motor. Well, just call. So I said, no, I want you to come. I said, because one of them's my son. And he goes, dude, are you serious? And I said, yeah. I said, because I'm not putting up with this shit anymore. Yeah. So they came, they transported him down there and I called his mom and told his mom she needed to go get him. And we were divorced at the time. And she's like, are you kidding me? I can't get away from Scott. I said, well, I'm not going to get him. <laughs> and uh, and so I'll tell you, I did that. I went back to the motor shed and I, I just sat there. I shook. I was so mad. And and it took me a couple hours to get over that. But uh, I don't know <laughs> about that. Over. A couple years. <laughs> I, I, like, I, I showed back up at home and he was not. I, I don't think he got over it that quick. I, he, he, <laughs> I I think it's one of those moments where you get like superhuman strength, man. I remember him like lifting me up by the throat and cocking his <laughs> hand back. <laughs> and I, I swear, like I was I was a big kid, man, and he did it with one hand, lift me up against the wall, never hit me, but like made me think he was gonna. And was, was that a good learning experience so for you, man? Yeah, I mean, I. I wouldn't lie to you and say that I didn't slough without permission again, but I kept yeah. my grades up a little better. But you didn't but, try to hide in front of a tree but, in London. Yeah. But you were like, my dad's serious, man. He, yeah. he, he'll he arrest me if I'm, you yeah. know, just because he's a cop or just because he's my dad doesn't right. mean I can get away with. Speaking, is is that derogatory to call a police officer a cop? No. Because I was going to say, I thought they called themselves cops. I, I've been saying this the whole time. And I'm like, maybe, <laughs> is, is that a bad word? Maybe that's insulting. Here, as right? long as you don't go... What is that line out of uh, Super Troopers? He wants a cola for a cop. <laughs> yeah, it's it, like it's uh, a liter of cola for a cop. Cola. No, you know, it, it never bothered me. Okay. Okay. I just you didn't know. know. I was like, well, maybe I shouldn't even be referring to him as a cop. I don't, I don't know. You no. Know, I, I didn't know. But uh, Police officer, cop. I want to ask you a few Salt Lake City related questions just because okay. I asked that to everybody here and, and it's it's part of the show. But Absolutely. Like, do you have like... We all have family members, friends that visit Salt Lake. Do you have something you like to show off or show them, uh, whether it's an area of town or a hike, camp? And I don't know. Do you have like a, a favorite thing that you like to show off in Salt Lake or, or the Isaac tour? The Isaac tour, man. You know what? When people come in to visit, we Park City. Yeah. Park City, yeah. someplace you take them. I always got to show them the temple. Sure. You know, I'm, I'm not, you know, of, of the faith, but you always got to show them the temple because that's cool. Take them and, you know, show them the uh, cathedral. Um, always got to take them up. And, and even though it's not someplace cool anymore, but, you know, up walking through the grove. I mean, that was something when, when I was little, you know, everybody always went up Memory Grove because it was kind of the scary place to go, you know. But uh, just, you know, places like that, the canyons uh, here in Salt Lake are beautiful. Uh, so always got to take them up the canyons, you know, but yeah, Park City is just someplace that's incredible right now. What about one or two favorite local eating spots, like a place you like to go for lunch or dinner? I'm sure you got one or two favorites, especially when you well, were on patrol back in the day. You had your favorites, I'm God, sure. You know what's really sad about that is that cops tend to go to the same old spots and they wear them out. But, you know, like right now, if, if I name spots to go eat, Isaac will roll his eyes because... He he's like the guy that knows all the hot spots to go eat, but like I like chili tapin. Oh, know, that's good. I'm right there on with 300 place. West, 200 Three, South, right yeah. there on the corner. That's good, man. 300 West, 200 South. I really like that as far as Mexican food goes. And you know, 
he's going to roll his eyes at me right now, <laughs> but lately we've been going and getting burgers up at Melly's Burgers. What? That's good. I and, roll your eyes yeah. at that. And, I wouldn't roll my eyes at that. <laughs> I, was, I was expecting you to say like chilies or something. Yeah. No, <laughs> that would be something I'd roll my, my eyes at. But you know, I'll tell you when you're going to notice now, I mean, you, you go out, you'll see cops at, at certain places and uh-huh. cops will wear places out. There was a Cafe Rio. Always I always see Cafe, Cafe Rio. 7-Eleven. <laughs> Cafe <laughs> Rio, 7-Eleven, you know, Crown Burger. You know, we got a good friend that owns Crown Burger up on 2nd South, 4th East, and that's why they're always in there. And it's because they're places they trust. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I worked know? at 7-Eleven for a couple months and we were always told, hey, give the Give them uh, free coffee so they hang out here because then you feel safe, right? Like they're there. You're not going to get robbed. Well, and you know, that was one of the things as a, as a young cop working patrol. I always made it a point to go places that I had to pay, you know, places uh, other than 7-Eleven because I was uncomfortable with that. Getting so, stuff for free. Yeah. Yeah. So I always made sure I made my rounds to top stop, to standard, you know, to Chevrons and stuff like that. I didn't care that they charged me. I just wanted to make sure that my face was seen everywhere. I have to ask, have any of you ever watched It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia? Yeah. Do you know the episode where they play cops to get free hot dogs? <laughs> it's <laughs> such a good episode. I don't know if I've seen that one. <laughs> I don't know. Oh, uh, well, let's watch it tonight. Uh, we'll watch it's it. fantastic. We'll watch it. Well, I'll tell you, it's, it's really funny that being a cop for so long, I, I am still hooked on nothing but cop shows. It's horrible. The cops or like CSI or... Well, you know, I don't know. NCIS, Los it, Angeles, yeah, any of the Chicago cop. PD. Um, Do you ever get flashbacks watching those kind of things? Like does PTSD of any sort or any... I mean, is no, that... no, I was, I was... I just... I become really critical of their tactics and stuff. <laughs> 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 of the way they do stuff or... Like I, I like, I like to predict the outcome of things, you know, when you watch a movie, you know, stuff. So was there a question or something that you were just hoping that we'd bring up that we didn't? And I mean, again, I know it's hard to cram everything up into a short little time. I mean, no, I, know, I, I know we didn't touch everything. No, I, I had a lot like just in my mind that if you asked, I could answer. I don't know. Do you? Have yeah. I mean, I'm just going to have to, I'm going to have to bring you back through here or something. You yeah, know, we're going like we to have to do, do more. And, and, and I think even, even maybe, maybe do some uh, strategic, I, I would like to do more. Uh, I would like to even maybe get you back through here. If you'd be willing to do more of a, a talk more in depth on educating parents and teachers on, on Absolutely. gangs, uh, yeah. especially us, uh, you know, we have, uh, almost three teenagers now. <laughs> and so we, you know, we want to keep our eyes on them and, and, mm-hmm. and make sure that they're, you know, good kids. Cause a lot of times they don't know. Well, and I'm the mom that's like, Oh, it's fine. They're good kids. Oh, geez, yeah. Yeah. So he, yeah, I have a lot to learn. But, I hear that one a lot. It's, but, that's that's uh, something you hear a lot. I bet. What, was there any, we, we touched, we, we're good yeah, or, or anything, Isaac uh, or Isaac, the barber, you know, I, I think that, uh, there's so many things you could ask. It's yeah. it's so hard to say. You know, I think something that's kind of a loaded question, but I think kind of prevalent in in today's world. But you know, would you at this point recommend someone becoming a cop? That's a really good question. What you would know? you have you? <laughs> well, you know, I mean, I if excuse me to go back a little bit. I almost became a cop. I tested out in post and and uh, went through the physical. Uh, tests and stuff like that. But for me personally, I couldn't come to terms, I think at the time, like becoming the man, you know, so to speak. And, and I, I'm glad that I didn't, 
but I'm I, glad you didn't I, either. <laughs> right. I, res- <laughs> I respect the, the profession. I really yeah. do. And I see problems with it, you know, at least in, in my mind, um, and the way that policing is moving. But, you know, I guess if you were to double up on that question, would you kind of recommend someone becoming a cop and, and maybe where do you see policing headed? And, and that's a, that's a good question. Um, I can tell you right now that policing has changed. And I think I sent this into you. And that is that when I took the test back in 1989 to 1990, when people would show up, there were about 2000 to 2,500 people that would show up for one single police test. Nowadays, when they put that out, there's maybe about 120 to 175 people that show up for a police test. And they're usually about the same group of people that will test for, you know, West Valley or Sandy or Salt Lake City or unified police that are all vying for that same position within a police department. And it's really sad to see that policing has gotten to that point that, you know, it's not as sought after as it once was. Um, my, my son-in-law, I recruited him into police work. He, he started off at the Salt Lake County jail and nobody ever thought that, that he'd be a, a cop, but he became, he became a cop and, and now he's working his way, uh, through that. And, and I, I'm really happy that he did. Would I recommend for people to do it? Yes, I would, because I think that it's needed and it will always be needed. I think that you saw the downward trending in police work because of some stigmas that were attached to police. And that started back in like 2009. Um, There were some bad things that were attached to police and you saw a lot of movements against the police and a lot of police, you know, cop haters, you know, you saw, and and I'm going to say it and, and I hope, it doesn't cause a problem with some of the listeners, but the whole Black Lives Matter movement and people not supporting police. But I think we're starting to see the pendulum swing the other way now. Um, I've heard a lot of stories from people that I still know uh, on police departments that are saying they're starting to see people come up to them now and actually thank them for what they do and, and tell them we appreciate your service which means a lot to them. And it means a lot to me because I spent 27 years doing this job. So I think that we're starting to see that even though we see people still out protesting when we have something happen. Um, Salt Lake City's never had a really strong um, cop, uh, anti-cop movement, but it's happening across the United States. But I think that we're starting to see People actually start to support the police. The other thing that happened that made policing not be so attractive was here in the state of Utah, they changed the legislation probably about five five to six years ago where the benefits for cops aren't that great. So, you know, when I hired on, when my son-in-law hired on, you could retire at 20 years. Um, that was the retirement 20 years was the minimum you had to work and retire. Now, these young kids that are coming in are having to work a minimum. I think it's 27 years to be able to get a retirement for less money. And I think that somewhere along the way, there has to be a voice that comes along and changes that legislation back. 
The other thing is post-retirement. Cops don't have benefits post-retirement. There's no health benefits. There's no life insurance benefits for everything that you go through, injuries that you sustain during your time. There's no health retirement benefits that uh, help cops afterwards. So I think if those things change, you'll see more people wanting to be cops. But, man, if I could get something out to some listeners – yeah, you know what? It was an awesome career. It was a great career. You make a lot of great friends, their lifetime friends. And I I mean, I, can't, I wouldn't change anything. To that note, friends inside the force and outside the force. I can't Absolutely. tell you how many times uh, I've met someone that my dad arrested, put in prison, that shakes their hand uh, when, he, when, he, when they run into each other these days. It happens everywhere he goes. I also think police officers need to be paid more. Oh, From yeah. what I understand, they don't. Their salaries aren't very big either. You know the thing. The thing about that is, is that I think that um, a lot of a lot of police officers are, are right now starting to tell me that their agencies are just now starting to get them some raises, and it, it's been a long time coming. You know, there's a lot of money dumped into different programs nationally, and there's a lot of money that the Department of Justice does put out for police projects that are dumped into special programs but for police pay itself yeah there needs to be more money because for what you go out and do Mm -hmm. absolutely i mean every time you just pull somebody over you don't know if they have a gun in the car you don't know what they're going to do you know just for a simple traffic violation i'm telling you if 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 more politicians and just more citizens can spend a day in the life of a cop they'd have a better understanding of some of the things that happen now i'm not gonna say that and, and Isaac and I have gotten into these arguments a lot. Myself, Isaac, and my son-in-law, we've sat at dinner, family dinners, and we've gotten into the, the arguments about gun laws and, and some of the shootings that have happened across the United States. True? Yeah. Well, and I mean, police brutality, all that stuff. I mean, it's all mm-hmm. a part of it. And, you know, there's 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 not to say that there's not bad cops out there because exactly. there are, you know, and there's a, there's, there's enough people, to, there's enough to know? be a problem too, you know, but I'll tell you right here in the state of Utah, you have some of the best trained cops in the nation. And I'll tell you, I came from Salt Lake city police department and, and man, I couldn't be more proud to have come from someplace, some of the best trained cops and some of the best people are still there. Unified police. I've had the opportunity to work with them and, and stuff, and I still work with them now. Some of the greatest cops, but right here in this valley. And when I hear people, you know, start slamming and talk negative about them, it's hard. It's hard to sit back and not say anything. But if I could even use this podcast as a recruiting method, absolutely, man. If you have any doubt and you've been thinking about it and you want to do it, I'd say, Test. So just go get online. Out. I mean, is there somewhere they need to go or you, what? You get online nowadays. First off, first thing you got to do is you go to the community college and you take a police entrance exam. Okay. It's called an end post test. You take that and you want to try and score the highest you can score because that's what's going to place you. Then you go to the agency you want to work for. You fill out an online application and they'll they'll contact you when they're hiring. You attach your end post score to that. And then they'll call you when they have a recruitment class. But man, what I mean, what a great career! I yeah. mean, I, Isaac will tell you I spent 27 years there, and you know there's some regrets, but you know for the most part, man, I had a great career, and would I do it all over again in a heartbeat? 
Many thanks again to Isaac Atencio for joining us on this episode of the podcast. All the links mentioned on this episode can be found at our website at IamSaltLake.com forward slash 392. That's for episode 392. Support for I Am Salt Lake comes from KRCL 90.9, amplifying community voices since 1979. This listener-supported music discovery station covers everything from reggae and punk rock to local grassroots activism. Listen today at 90.9 FM or online at krcl.org. And before we get into weekly recommendations, Chrissy and I, we have some great weekly recommendations we're going to get into in just a moment. But I do want to mention that we are currently looking for sponsors for this podcast. So if you have the slightest interest, please get in touch. We have packages to fit all budgets. Send an email to hello at IamSaltLake.com and check it out. Support the podcast and let's keep the ball rolling here. All right, it is time for weekly recommendations. This is the time of the podcast where Chrissy and I, we just, you know, talk about stuff we like, stuff we recommend, stuff that's new for the week. Uh, just kind of, hey, this is what we recommend. And I want Chrissy to go first. I always let her go. I think I always let you go first. Such a gentleman. This week, I want to recommend The Other Side Movers. So The Other Side Movers is a moving company that was built by a place called The Other Side Academy. And what they do here in Salt Lake is they help people rehabilitate from being addicts, any, you know, drug addicts, alcohol addiction. Um, And so it's a... It's a way to get those people into a good job, and they're a fantastic movers. Well, they do a bang-up job. Yeah, we had this them move us the, the last time we moved. This is going to be the second time we're having a move. Yeah, I mean, they're like the nicest guys. They're so they're so professional. They're just, I don't know, really friendly. I enjoyed hanging out with them while they were moving our stuff. And what I was impressed with, Chrissy, the first time when they moved us into this apartment that we're moving out of downtown, is they didn't, like, complain. Oh, right? not at like, all. They we, were super cool. We had this couch that we had to move on the third floor, which like, oh my gosh. It was a nightmare. And they could have easily just complained, but they did it and they just got in and, and did it. Yeah, I know. I can't believe they weren't like, a few guys, we're out of here. So props to them. Call the other side movers if you need to move. And my recommendation, I might have recommended this already. It is so good. It is the big salad at Lucky 13. And the only reason I want to recommend it again is because we have not been to Lucky 13 for a while. Oh my gosh. It's I can't even really remember the last time we were there. Well, see, so we're running into the problem right now where we have a two-year-old with us most of the time. Yes. In a place like Lucky 13, you can't take babies in there because they have the the license. The whole restaurant bar thing. Yeah, so it makes it really tough, man, to go into places. I cannot wait until those stupid laws are lifted here. Oh, gosh. Utah, let's get like every other state. Let's bring our babies into the bars. Come on. <laughs> Can you imagine that? Oh, my gosh. So <laughs> That's yeah, the, how it is in Wisconsin. The big salad at Lucky 13. I mean, it's got all my meats and cheeses on there. Oh, really good salad. They, they make a great salad, which is a weird thing to say for like a great burger joint. Yeah. But man, mm-mm-mm. Well, that's going to do it for this episode. Don't forget to support our show sponsors, Mark Miller Subaru, Kennedy Botanicals, and Libsyn. We'll have links for all of them at our website under the notes for this episode, which you can find at IamSaltLake.com. And you can always send us letters, postcards, or packages at P.O. Box 4412, Salt Lake City, Utah, 84110. And if you mail us stuff, we will talk about it here on the podcast. Send me cookies. I'll tell everyone. You have a great week. Make sure to get out and enjoy the city. Support local whenever possible. And we'll see you on the next episode. And good night, Grammy.